Okay, good evening. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 3. Book of Isaiah, chapter 3. I've been meditating of late on the the hand of God uh, on nations, the hand of God on nations. Um, The hand of God that is seen in the rise of nations uh, and the hand of God that is seen in the fall of nations. Uh, Nations like people do have a lifespan. None of them survive forever. Uh, Our understanding of history has shown that nations and empires do not last forever. They come uh, and they go. And some burn brightly for a time and some dimly. Uh, But all eventually fall and all eventually fail. Uh, Some nations become great and do much but have very little uh, understanding or interaction with the, the things of God. I mean, I'm sure you're all intimately familiar with the great Han Empire that ran China for a long time, um, but the God of the Israelites was not a big thought in their mind, uh, not a great thought for them at all. While other nations have become great and done much with with much knowledge of our God and His ways and His Word. Uh, And our passage this evening is addressed to a nation that did know God, that knew much of God and His ways. Uh, And we read God here explaining his plan for them. He does have a plan for this nation, uh, but he is planning their decrease. He is planning their demise. Uh, And he explains how he is going to do this. Um, He spells out what is going to happen to this nation. And we know from history uh, that it played out precisely as he said it would uh, for this nation. So uh, let's let's read this entire passage, uh, and then we'll, we'll pray. We'll work our way through it, and we'll be done for the evening. Okay, so read with me from verse 1. And in the Bible reads, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty and the honorable man, and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honorable. When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. In that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be an healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people. For Jerusalem is ruined, and Judah is fallen." Because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of His glory. The show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom, they hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people... They which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the ways of thy paths. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, dear Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help tonight, Lord. We would, we would learn from your scriptures, Father. We would have your Holy Spirit illuminate to our understanding, uh, to understand the day and the times and what you would require of us. Lord, so please speak to us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, 
the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. We see firstly here that God explains precisely who it is who's going to be doing the diminishing of the nation of Judah. And it's going to be Him, the Lord. Which Lord? The Lord of hosts. That Lord. He will be the one that is going to start subtracting from this nation. Uh, He's going to remove things from them that they once had, but by the time He is done, they will have no longer. Uh, the term stay here, things, things that were really important, things that were vital to this nation, it uses the word the, the stay and the staff. The stay is a support. It's something that you really need. The staff is something that you lean on. And he said, I'm coming to pull those things off you. Uh, things that are vital, things that hold you up, uh, things that are as necessary to a nation as bread and water are to a man. And the Lord has promised to take them away. And history has recorded that that is precisely what he did. Uh, and what were those supports? What were those stays that were there in Israel? Uh, What are those things that God will subtract? Well, verse 2 and 3, look down there with me. Uh, The Lord goes on to explain the type of people that he is going to subtract from Judah. And he starts out with the mighty man and the man of war. The mighty man and the man of war. In the year 454 AD, as the Roman Empire, if you know your history, was coming to a close, for 30 years there had been a general by the name of Flavius Aetus. And he strove as best as he could to keep the Western Roman Empire afloat as everything was collapsing around him. He went on to win dozens and dozens of major conflicts for the Western Roman Empire, culminating in his great victory over a man you may have heard of called Attila the Hun. He defeated him by forming an alliance with the Visigoths that were there, uh, that had basically migrated into Rome at the time. Uh, And he won a stunning victory there that turned that whole Hunnic horde around and got them back out of Europe. Uh, But his success grew such that other men, other other nobles within the Roman Empire, were jealous of him. And there was a young emperor whose name was uh, Valentinian III. And so they got Valentinian III to join in a conspiracy. They said, this guy is getting too big for his boots. Help us, take him down. And so one day Aetis came in before the throne unarmed. And he started to discuss minor matters of taxation with the king, with the emperor. And Valentinian, out of the blue, accused him of a whole list of things. And while he was trying to defend himself, Valentinian took out his sword and another man came around behind. And they struck him upon the head until he fell on the ground and he was dead. And that was the end of what they called the last Roman, General Flavius Aetus. And later on, he said to one of his advisors, he said, haven't I done well? He was describing his great victory over Aetus there. And the advisor said, whether you have done well, I do not know, but I know this, your left hand today has cut off its right. Your left hand has cut off its right. But that was okay, right? I mean, the great man Aetis was dead, but this is the Roman Empire. It had been going for a thousand years. Surely there'd be another chap coming along really soon to pick up where where he had left off. Now, if you know what happened from that point on, Nobody came after that. And there's no guarantees that that man would have been able to turn it around. But the mighty man and the man of war was subtracted from the empire at that point, And he was not replaced. He was not replaced. Nobody picked up his mantle. Nobody filled his shoes. It was gone. From that empire, God had subtracted the mighty man and the man of war. And this happened precisely in the same way to the kingdom of Judah. There were great and mighty men. We have massive lists of the mighty men that were once there in Judah. And they all died one by one. And eventually the day came when they were not replaced. And there was not going to be another one. There was no King David coming along 
to, to win great battles for them. Barak was not going to be raised up. There wasn't going to be a new Joshua to stand up for Judah. The mighty man and the man of war would be subtracted from them. And that is a terrible thing to have happen to your nation. Now, in times of peace and prosperity like this, you don't think about how wonderful it would be to have a mighty man and a man of war until you desperately, desperately need it. But God is not done subtracting there from Judah. Who else will God subtract from the nation that once knew him? We read further. The judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of 50 and the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. Now please understand here that these officers weren't left completely unfilled. It's not like there wasn't a single person who was a judge in that day in Judah once all these people had been subtracted. There were still men sitting in the seats with the title judge. They still had prophets that you could go and talk to. They still had middle management. They still had captains of 50 around, and they still had people giving counsel to the king, but the honorable men were gone, and the men you had filling these positions now were nothing like the men that had come before. And we see this now even in our own nation. Some great wickedness occurs in Australia, And the malefactor is caught and he is taken before the judge and the judge considers his case. And then his judge says, all right, uh, uh, 90 days suspended sentence uh, and some community service. And and people in Australia are angry about that. And they say, this is, we, we need new laws. We need mandatory sentencing to force those judges to give a just, just decision here. Um, And that, that happens in our nation today, but The problem isn't that we don't have enough laws to force judges to make righteous decisions. You need a righteous man, a righteous judge to make righteous decisions. There is people there, they are judges, but they are nothing like the judges that had come before and this is what had happened to the nation of Israel. It was a subtraction. God has given them the judges that they deserve. And he has taken away the judges that they need. It is a subtraction. Likewise, with the prophet, I mean, surely better Bible colleges and extended theological education and a greater understanding of Greek and Hebrew is what we need here in Australia to raise up a group of men that will actually preach the Bible, right? Well, well, no. No, it is only God that can give you men that have conviction and courage to preach what they know. The problem is not a lack of education. The problem is there has been a subtraction. The Lord has removed the prophets. For the British, Charles Spurgeon has been subtracted, but he has not been replaced. For the Americans, we may disagree with much that Mr. Graham did, and yet he has been subtracted there. At least their presidents would listen to him. Uh, But who will be raised up in his place? Uh, He has been subtracted, and there is no guarantee of his replacement, none whatsoever. When the face of God is set against your nation, this is what he does. He begins to subtract. And it continues through the whole list. The captain of 50 was still there in Judah, uh, but he couldn't organize his way out of a paper bag. At the height of their British empire, uh, the British empire ruled the nation of Sudan with a very small complement of soldiers and 200 public servants. That was all they required in the 18th century without all that technology to manage the nation of Sudan. What can 200 public servants organize today? Uh, they could barely organize their way out of a bus stop. And, and yet we, we laugh, but how does this happen? How does it come to that? It comes to that because it is God who subtracts, the subtraction of God. Where is our cunning artificer? People say things like, you know, we used to, um, didn't we used to manufacture things around this place? 
Uh, didn't we used to like build things? What? Do we still build things? What, what, what happened there? Where did it go? Where is the cunning artificer? Where is the man that builds and designs? Uh, well, he's not here. He's over there in that nation, and we now must go and buy from him. We do not make for ourselves. How does that happen? It happens through the subtraction of God. And you may look at that and think, well, that's a pretty grim state for any nation to be in, to have God going through you, subtracting one after the other. Uh, It's going to be rough to lose out on all those men throughout your nation. Uh, But let's not give up hope yet, Jeremiah. I I mean, this isn't anything that a good old dose of leadership couldn't fix, right? Surely some good leadership getting in there could, you know, a great man up the top, can really make a big difference and can change things. Uh, and we all do know that great leadership does make great changes. It does. But God isn't settled with just subtracting from the nation of Judah. He's now going to begin adding. He's now going to begin adding. And so let's hope he's going to add something good because we could really use some experience up the top, right? Read with me from verse 4. He says, And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honorable. And God adds to this nation leaders. He adds to them the inexperienced the childish and the selfish, and he sets them up as rulers. The adults have now left the room, and the children are in charge, although they have the adult's body. Kids look out for number one, and people, and like people, like ruler. Children left to themselves oppress one another, and in such a way, so too was it in the kingdom of Judah. The child and the youth are elevated to a position of societal esteem, and the old man and the ancient is lowered to a position of contempt. Fads of of the children are followed by all. In verse 12, if you look down there, it elaborates and says, As for my people, children are their oppressors. Children are their oppressors. I saw this with my own eyes when I was uh, a pre-service teacher. As a pre-service teacher, they take you and they put you in classrooms with other experienced teachers. And I ended up with a lovely lady, uh, I can't remember her name, Mrs. Brown, I think, down at Aspley State High, just down the road. And one day, one of the teachers came rushing into the staff room and said, look, um, there's been an incident in 8E or whatever it was. Can, Jenny, can you go down there and take Josh and can you take over that class? And when we got there to take over the class, the, the children had thrown something at the, the, the older lady teacher that was there and they, they wounded her in the head and there was blood running down and into her eyes and, and she couldn't see. Uh, and so we, we got her out of there and I was there with the other teacher and the room just had this restless murmur to it, like a, like a pack that has just, just got blood. And I remember watching a row of 13-year-old boys, just 13-year-old boys rocking on their seats. And I'll never forget the way that they looked at me. And it was just, they rolled their tongue around in their mouth. And they looked at me. And they stared me down. And I stared at them. And they stared at me. And there was not a flicker of fear in their eyes. Not a flicker. They knew, what are you going to do to me, mate? Nothing. And it was so. And you say, oh, no, wait till, wait till the management heard of that. The captain of 50 is going to come down there. There was no expulsions. There was no suspensions. There was nothing that came out of that that day. The child behaved proudly against the ancient and the base against the honourable. 
and children were our oppressors in that room. And this is the addition of God. This is what God gives to the nation that would turn against him. Read further there in verse 12. It says, as for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. And women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee, cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. God says, I'll give you leaders and they are going to destroy you. Do not look to leadership is his encouragement there. It will not save you. And what kind of leaders? Children. And then he says, and women rule over them. Children in leadership is not the ultimate end of the judgment of God upon a nation. Unto them is added children for leaders, and unto them is added women to rule over them. Feminism is no progress. Feminism is the curse of the Lord God of hosts upon a nation that would reject him. God adds to your nation Jezebel and puts her over you. God adds to your nation Germaine Greer, and she is looked to and respected. The leadership talents that God gives to ladies are to many good and noble ends, but they are not to the leadership of marriages, they are not to the leadership of churches, and they are not to the leadership of nations. When that becomes the the norm, then that nation is cursed of God indeed. You get to choose then. You can choose between the child or the woman, or the woman child, but those are your choices. Those are your options. And men say, surely, surely it's not that bad. I I mean, where are the men? Where are the men? Uh, Surely there's going to be a man that's going to stand up and take charge and fix this, right? And and, and get to solving that. Well, they actually try this. They give that a belt. Look down there in verse 6 with me. It says, uh, When a man shall take hold of the brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. Note the sad state of their requirements for leadership. Uh, The best guy that they can find, well, he's... He's wearing clothes, I guess. Come on, can, can you take this, please? Notice their pitch to him to become their leader. Let this ruin be under your hands. I mean, who can say no to an offer like that? In a nation where everyone has their pants on their head, this man has his pants on his legs and they say, well, that's good enough for me. Uh, can you please lead this? Take control of this awful mess, they say. Try and start to fix it. And look at his reply in verse 7. In that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be an healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people. He knocks them back. Uh, All the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put this back together again, and he knows it. He will not be an healer. He doesn't want to even try to fix it. He's got his own problems to look after at home that he can barely solve. Make me not a ruler of the people. This is the best man they could find. And he says, I want no part in it. I want no part in it. There is no return for this nation to whom God has subtracted their best and added to them the worst. But why? I mean, why why would God do this to a nation? Is he random? Is he capricious? Have we just come up on the dartboard of God's decision-making process and Australia has been struck? Uh, Why would God do that to us? Well, there was a man close on 100 years ago now, you may know him, the poet Yeats, He wrote of this coming, which he saw coming to Western civilization. He wrote a very famous poem, and the most famous line from this poem, he says this, he says, The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of a passionate intensity. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are filled with a passionate intensity. The best man they can find in Judah, and is he full of conviction? He's not up for it. He's not down 
for that. But the worst, they are full of a passionate intensity. Let's read about what was causing, what really had the passion behind it and the intensity in Judah. Read down in verse 8, it says this, For Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of His glory. The show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Their best lack all conviction, but their worst are filled with a passionate intensity. The best bloke they've got wants nothing to do with it, but the tongues and the doings of the wicked are still busy against the Lord to provoke him. Look in verse 9, it says, The show of their countenances doth witness against them. They have pride, they have hatred of God, and it is written on their faces. The show of their countenances, is, is, it is written on their face. They declare their sin as Sodom, they hide it not. I mean, sin isn't something done by these people which is sort of down that street in the city where there's not as many cops walking around. If you're really looking for that sort of thing, uh, that's the place where you can find, but you better hope that no one blows the whistle because it's nothing like that. Uh, They declare their sin as Sodom. They have their sin on their resume. They want you to know that they did vote for same-sex marriage. Uh, And this is not a cause for shame for them. This is their righteousness. This is their pride. This This would be their boast. They would say, what do you mean I'm a bad person? Didn't I do that great wicked thing? Their boast is in their unrighteousness. They want you to know it. Their glory is in their shame and they hide it not. Why would God turn and put his curse upon Judah? Why would God turn and put his curse upon our nation? The answer is there at the end of verse 9. Woe unto their souls, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. They have rewarded evil unto themselves. Read down in verse 11, it says, Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. It will be given to him, he will receive it. The wages of sin is death, and this applies just as much to nations as it does to individuals. The hand of God may be slow, but it is not held back forever. This is the reward that Judah has heaped to themselves. And their example stands as a warning. And an explanation for the reward that our nation heaps to itself. If you cannot see the parallels between the judgments that God put out upon the nation of Judah and the judgments that he puts out against us, then only God can lift that blindness for you. But what if you can see it? What if you say, I I do see, I do understand. I mean, what can the righteous do when the nation has been thus condemned? If God reaches out his hand, who can stay it? What hope is there? for the righteous in this situation. We find our answer in verse 10. Look down at verse 10. And then I want you to read it together with me. Verse 10 says, Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Say ye to the righteous. God commands speech to the righteous. They are to be told today what was told to the righteous in the day of Judah, that it shall be well with him. Brethren, you have done well to be here tonight. It needs to be said to the righteous, and the righteous need to hear it be said. We are commanded not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but we are to exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, and the day is approaching. You have not forsaken the assembling, and it has been good for you to be in the house of God. Why? Say ye to the righteous, say ye to the righteous what? that it shall be well with him. Even even with everything else you've promised, Lord, even with all those other judgments, what will happen to the righteous? It shall be well with him. 
We, need, we will eat the fruit of our doings. We need only to do what the righteous did when God visited this judgment upon the men of Judah. Was there none there that had bowed the knee? Well, Elijah got his answer there. There is always a remnant. And the righteous always have their responsibility in times of national climbing and of national decline. We need only to do what those men of Judah did at the time. And it was well for them. We need only to do what the, our brothers and sisters in Christ who got to see all those doings I told you about at the end of the Roman Empire. There have been believers for 2,000 years now that have watched the collapse of their nation and the command of God to them is the same as to us. It shall be well with you and you shall eat the fruit of your doings. They gathered together. They took his word and they taught it to others and the Lord looked after his own. We shall eat the fruit of our doings at the marriage supper of the land and brethren, our trust is not to be in nations nor princes. They will all fall in due season. We shall reap if we faint not. And brethren, we know the end of the book. There does end up being a king and a nation that never fails and never, never falls and never corrupts. And we will be there to see it. I was saying to the men of the Institute the other day, you know, soon we shall be dead and we will be gone. And then I realized, no, 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 we won't be gone. I will go till the millennium and then I will return. Uh, I will come back. I just have a hiatus until that time. But we all shall stand again upon this very earth. It's not death, then heaven, then done. You will be back. And we will see it one day. We will eat the reward of our fruit in that day. We now share the cup of those believers of ages past whose nations had begun to decline. And the glory that they obtained is easily within our grasp. For all that our nation does, they cannot stop us from praying. For all that our nation does, they cannot stop our mouths from witnessing. For all that our nation does, they cannot silence our praises. They can't stop us from telling another man or another woman about the only Lord and God, Jesus Christ, who can save their souls. And we will receive the reward and the fruit for that. Tonight, brethren, we are commanded to pray for kings and for all those that are in authority. And I encourage you to do so with all your heart. But we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and we must pray that we will be faithful to carry out his will and see it done and not our own. The Lord has put us here for such a time as this. So let's take time to pray. Let me pray and then Barnes or whosoever will, you shall come. We give you thanks, our Lord and our God, that we are your children. Lord, we are so grateful for the nation that you have put us in and the rich and manifold blessings that you have poured out upon us and upon our countrymen. But Lord God, we are here tonight to say that you only are the one that we serve with our whole heart. Lord, you are the reason for all that we do. You have given your son, you have given your blood, you have purchased our salvation and taken away our sins. So Lord, we pray that you would help us as we go about our lives at this time, in this day. Lord, help us to understand your will and to carry it out that we may bring you glory and honour in all that we do, Lord. And if you do that, we give you the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.